This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the athletic podcast dedicated to Manchester United. And here we are again inside an empty in Old Trafford after a great European night for Manchester United. It may have only been the playoff round and it may have only been the Europa League, but what a win to knock out Barcelona. Laurie Whitwell stood next to me. He's already got his arms in the air. I've had a hug off Karl Anker and Andy Mitten is helping himself to a Malteser <laughs> as usual. You know it's been a big night when he's got his hands in the sweets again. Laurie, how good was that? Really, really good. You sort of felt in advance of kickoff that this could be one of those memorable occasions at Old Trafford if it all worked together. And okay, in fact, actually, that made it better the fact that United went behind. You know, and, and for periods of the first half, you thought, will this not work? That jeopardy kind of increased the energy around the place, I think. And then the fact that Tenag made the sub that he did at half time and it changed so quickly in the second half and the, the crowd got up again. And the, at kickoff, the, the crowd was just so loud really up for it and as you said it, it might be you know a sort of second string competition it might be the kind of mulligan round of the of this competition as well not even like the main sort of sort of chunk of it but there was two teams there that really wanted to win playing good football and united found a way to win that synergy between the players and the fans at the end as well was magnificent you've got Rafael Varane who's won four Champions Leagues you've got Casemiro who's won five Champions League giving it some at the end to the fans like you know it's the first win of the careers it, it was incredible to watch it was great to be here yeah it certainly was wasn't it I, I can't actually believe Andy that that was only for a place in the last 16 of the Europa League it had the feel of like the quarterfinals if not the semi-finals of the Champions League maybe sort of the football's done crazy things to our heads tonight but it felt like a hugely hugely significant win it was a huge win for for the manager it sort of validates what he's been doing for his staff for the players for the fans we heard the atmosphere tonight going straight into a cup final so it's only going to lift everyone around Manchester United the nightmare scenario tonight apart from losing was it going to penalties and suddenly you'd, we'd be doing this a lot lot later and then having to go down to London on Sunday it was a really significant win for Manchester United I, I couldn't see it coming at half time I thought Barca were in complete control I've seen too much of them to know what they do and they're, they're Barcelona they've, they've got top players everywhere and I thought United have gone to sleep I didn't think the atmosphere was that good in the first half I didn't either I didn't, and I didn't want I'm to correct sorry. Laurie straight away I, I expected more I expected more 
But in the second half, uh, notable mention to the block of 600 seats over in A-Stand by the Barcelona fans. And the, the game just gave the crowd its momentum then. And as Laurie said, seeing the players, the, those players who've won everything, it shows it really matters. And these aren't players, even though they're at the top of the trade, they've not got huge egos. They're all about doing it for the team. And I think the dressing room is in such a better place than it was last season. I know for a fact it is, because people tell me that. Well, you can see it you anyway, can see can't it. you? You yeah. can see it. And I still, it's not a complete Manchester United, and it's not a complete Barcelona either, but they're both coming back. I'm not sure we'll meet in this competition again. There could be a real drop-off now, depending on, you know, we'll probably draw Real Sociedad again, or another another Spanish yeah. team. But just outside the ground tonight, you know, tickets were going for 400 quid. It, everyone was it, was, it was a big, big deal. It had a real feeling about it. I spoke to some of the lads selling the half-and-half half scarves, and we'll allow them for European games, because that's a tradition. They didn't have any left. Two and a half thousand Barca fans, a decent following. So I feel a bit drained from it all all now. I got up this morning in Barcelona, it's five o'clock in the morning, and you sort of come through the wash of everything. I had to fly to London because the flights to Manchester were so expensive because they were full of Barcelona fans. And then I thought we're going out mentally and preparing myself, going, oh no, oh no, oh no. Going back on a flight with all those Barcelona fans as well, yeah. <laughs> I'm in Manchester now for the, for the final, going. So I wouldn't be back, but I, I take your point. I've got my youngest daughter on my case going, ha, ha, ha. And I'm thinking, you won't be saying that when I throw you out of the house. <laughs> Andy touched on it there, Carl, um, amidst that answer. But the genuine sort of sense of spirit in this team and the connection between the fans and the team on the pitch as well. Eric Ten Hag's done a lot right as Manchester United manager so far, but reconnecting a fan base with the team feels like almost the most important thing. Absolutely. It's... In fact, ahead of schedule. I said one of the yeah. big challenges during pre-season was Ten Hag to get a buy-in and to get to a point where United fans go, oh, I'm not sure what's going on, but I trust Ten Hag. And at half-time, yeah, that was not a great first half for Manchester United. A bit of a mess, actually, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Even tactically, it was. Really disjointed, really loose in possession. Uh, one of those games where Aaron Wan-Bissaka's getting loads of touches and Fred's getting loads of touches and you're going, ah, that's not right. And that's because Barcelona are doing something or something's gone wrong for United. Little Colin and Colin B. But Ten Hag figured out something that the layman can't see, and that's probably why he's one of the best managers in the world right now. Uh, these second half performances are incredible. Um, and his substitutions, after being a bit odd at the start of the season, just are bang on every single time now. Uh, we said we didn't know, you know how United were going to get something at half-time. There you go. You've got a shinner from Fred and you've got Anthony with the first time hitting in left foot. Who would have predicted that? How's he... He's just really good at this job. And the Is job it... being not just tactics, but being Manchester United manager. So carrying yourself in a certain demeanour, making a call on the fans before the game saying so you need to be really, really loud. Even those tiny touches, like they switched off the music at Old Trafford for 15 minutes before kickoff. Going, go on in fans, make a bit of noise. Um, the two or three times really early in the first half where Ten Hag is, was just yelling at Juan Bissaka and Bruno. There's a bit where Balde's gone really far wide and you can see Juan Bissaka went to take a step towards him. And Ten Hag went, no. And like pointed at the spot going, you stand there. And if he, gets the, if he gets the ball, he gets the ball. But I need you there for a certain reason, which is those two or three things that an elite manager can spot. And I have no idea what he's doing until I ask him about it in the press conference afterwards. And he goes, well, you know, it's obvious. Bloody hell, what a man. 
I can tell you three are excited because the podcast has been going six minutes and I've only asked you one question each. <laughs> All your answers are absolutely packed with enthusiasm and, and joy after tonight. It's been lovely waiting for you three to complete Eric Ten Hag's press conference and Andy was down in the mix zone as well because I've been able to sit and listen to the Catalan inquest that's been going on just by the press box with all the journalists who've, who've travelled across uh, from Barcelona to cover the game. Just to paint the picture as well, inside Old Trafford now, we're, what are we, just gone 11pm, so we're an hour or so after the game and there's still sort of a few media about doing bits and bobs, people tidying up, but Bruno Fernandes' kids on the pitch scoring goals at both ends, Laurie, has, has almost been a, a, another highlight of the night that not many people have seen, but we have. Yeah, very cute. Um, Bruno Fernandes out with his kids, uh, having a little kick about, and they just kept running the length of the pitch. And as you know, there's only a few people here. There's, I think, I think there's a box over in the Alex Ferguson stand that are still here, and. You know, they were kind of gathering the noise as, as this kid's like making its way towards the uh, the six yard box, and then obviously manages to put it in this open net. You know, did what his dad couldn't, by the way, well. after five minutes. True, true. But his dad, I mean, I, I, I love what Tenag's been doing. He's he's been kind of finding creative solutions to, to problems, and so. You know, for the start of the game, it was Bruno Fernandes in the right wing position, which has worked on occasion. But as Carl's touched on, it didn't really work tonight, did it? Sancho was the number ten. I thought he was too slow. I thought he allowed Barcelona to nip in to seize possession too many times. So you know, uh, Tenag changed it half time, puts Bruno Fernandes number ten, and he you know creates the assist you know within a few seconds um, to to give it to Fred. So yeah, yeah, I think he had a good night again, Bruno. I mean, he, you know, he boots the ball into Frankie De Jong's ribs, bit naughty. D- yeah, did he mean it? Yes. It was a bit naughty. I thought Frankie actually played much better in this game. Very good. Than the first leg, yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah he was And if we're picking out who played well, I thought Rafael Varane was fantastic. I thought Fred had a, a really good The game. Mosquito, you mean? Yes. Um, I thought Anthony, obviously, when he came on, did really well. Ganacho was really lively as well. It seems that there's a few fringe positions where the players selected don't do that well, but the replacements come on and do well every single game. So, like, Sancho, as Laurie said, was a, a bit flat tonight. Can I underline that with a stat? 19 goals scored by substitutes for Manchester wow. United this season. The most wow. of any team in Europe's top five leagues. That tells you the story, doesn't it? I'm sealing that for my piece. Because my piece is going to be about substitutions, which I asked Tenag about after the game. Because he, he, he's decisive with it. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of going to... You know, pat myself or pat Eric Steele on the back because he said to me, you know, he'd, he'd watched him work uh, at Ajax. I think even before Ajax uh, Utrecht, maybe. Um, but he said that he is decisive during games. He can read games and he can make those changes. And he's done that frequently throughout the season. I was just flicking back, and you know, he made half-time substitution against Liverpool, uh, and it, it works. You know, with a quick goal uh, after the break. So he, he, he kind of he, he gets involved in the games. You know, as Carl's touched on, he sort of makes sure. I mean, he was there at the, at the edge of the. Uh, dugout the whole the whole time wasn't he instructing players where to go yeah there's just a statesman like feel about him already almost that he's really sort of stamped his authority on the club I, I sort of didn't bump into him but I was walking past the press conference room as he was walking in and he literally was having to be dragged out of the director's lounge because everyone wanted to shake his hand and congratulate him and he had a moment with Kath the reception, receptionist from the training ground just as he came through hugged her said are you happy she said very much I'll see you tomorrow it's a lovely moment it's the type of thing that Alex Ferguson would have done that. I'm sure other managers who've been here at Manchester United in the interim years would have done that too, but he just seems to get it right and get, get even little things like that right. You want a good uh, side of his impact? Both Laurie and I are wearing turtlenecks. 
So uh, and Andy's not. He's not. He swerves. Not he did. He got the memo, but he decided to swerve. <laughs> so yeah, Ten Hag's influence is everywhere. He's saving it for the last 16 of the Europa League. He can't go too early in the in the, the playoff round. He was here tonight, or a version of the Europa League trophy was here tonight in a not so subtle hint from UEFA that they thought this was actually a really really big game. <laughs> it was a big game, wasn't it? And it was a huge win for United as well. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Andy, you said before about knowing what Barca do. Well, Barca don't concede goals, do they? They've conceded seven in La Liga in 22 matches and United have not forepassed them in two games. Even that itself is impressive. They concede in Europe, unfortunately for them. Now, I thought that the goals he conceded in October in Europe were because of defensive injuries, but they have conceded four times against Manchester United. So your point is absolutely true. They're keeping clean sheets week after week in La Liga. But in Europe, that's where they've fallen down. I thought Araujo actually did, did very well up against Marcus Rashford. He did, didn't he? He's a great player. He's, they've, they've got top players. and Balde's a very um, good player as well. Do you know, that's another thing, though. United did this tonight without Marcus Rashford being the hero. I mean, even that in itself is a, is a step forward for this team. Well, 4-3 after 180 minutes is a close encounter. And I do think that Manchester United deserve to go through because I thought that United shaded it in the first leg at, at Camp Nou. Just relieved. I'm just sick of seeing Barcelona beat Manchester United. I'm still stung by Rome, and Wembley, and the and 2019 as well. So it, it it does feel good. But they'll probably win the league. They've got a game against Real Madrid in the Copa del Rey semi-finals. I think Xavi's is in a good place. He's got a lot of respect for Eric ten Hag. Both got similar footballing philosophies. Just great to see two top top teams going at each other and yet I don't think they're both at the top top level I think Manchester United have still got another 20-30% to go and so have Barcelona One thing that really struck me tonight actually I was sat over um, in the Sir Alex Ferguson stand with my dad and I came round the ground fighting my way against most of the fans who were coming out to come to the press area to meet you three and I can't remember the last time I saw sort of the jubilation of the fans, the random people hugging each other, high-fiving, singing, celebrating. Um, just that outpouring of, of emotion. It, it feels weird saying that these fans have waited a long time for a night like this because United have been spoilt down the years with occasions far bigger than this. But there was that sort of feel that it, it was back, that, that, that extra X factor, that box office feel was back tonight. We've got a football team here. And... There have been loads of times when we've talked about United in recent seasons where we've gone, yeah, but, or maybe if, or looks like, blah, 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 footnote, 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 caveat. Whereas that, Manchester United weren't great in the first half and their manager fixed things. Manchester United got a goal down, they shake themselves off and they're really, really resilient. Manchester United have quite obvious holes in their squad, but squad players can come in and step up. Yeah, we know Fred's not amazing, but there's good Fred and there's bad Fred. And Ten Hag's found a way to get 
more good friend out of anyone, right? United have a six foot six tall striker in the front three. He's not very good in the air. And Eric Ten Hag's found a way to make him quite good for, from goal kicks. This is, I'm just doing a hand motion here. This is fun in a way that wasn't fun. I mean, think about last season after that terrible bunch of games against Atletico Madrid, where he's got absolutely manhandled. Doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, okay, United might not win this tournament or United might not win the Premier League, but there's something in there that is going to last for a while under that manager. And uh, yeah, it's a good time to be a Man United fan. Which yeah. you haven't had, we haven't had time to say that too much recently, have we? No, there's not been reason to either, in fairness. And Manchester United fans, I'm sure you will want to pour over every detail of that game all over again. There's lots of reaction on the Athletic Carl's piece, uh, which he did in conjunction with a couple of others on the whistle. And also Laurie will be writing up his piece about Eric Ten Hag changing matches for the better. That will be up there, I'm sure, by the time this podcast is reaching your ears. If you're not a subscriber, you can sign up now, of course, for that special price of £1.99 a month for a year. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Right, we need to talk about the next round of the Europa League. Maybe by the time you're listening to this, you might know already who Manchester United are facing. But just to explain, it is the last 16. I'm saying that again, it's incredible that they've still got seven matches potentially ahead in the Europa League between now and the end of May. But United are set to face one of the group winners from the original Europa League group stage. And that means that it's one of Fenerbahce, Real Betis, Union San Gilwa, Real Sociedad, Feyenoord, Freiburg or Fenech Varos. The only team that they couldn't face is Arsenal technically because yeah. countries can't face each other but they can't face Arsenal anyway because those group winners are seeded but Laurie there's still some very very talented teams in this tournament. I've read some of them out there but there's still Arsenal, there's Jose Mourinho's Roma which would be interesting, there's Sevilla who we've not really enjoyed our matches against in recent years, there's Juventus, there's Union Berlin who are in a very tight title race in Germany as well. We might have beaten who we felt was the biggest opponents in this competition tonight but there's still some dangerous teams there. Yeah and I think previous Europa League uh, campaigns have shown that you cannot count <laughs> your chickens before they hatch. Villarreal in the final, you'd think that United were you know, the favourites for that, ended up losing on penalties. Uh, Celta Vigo even under Jose Mourinho, I mean, that was a really tight one in the semi-finals, which, which could have gone the other way. So, yeah, you can't get too ahead of yourself, I suppose, in this regard. But as Tenag's just put in there, he was asked about how did you turn this around? Obviously, they've not won anything yet. And, it, you know, even if they win the Europa League and Carabao Cup, it's not really where they want to ultimately get to. But how have you turned it around to this point? Um, and he said it's all about belief and results breed belief and Barcelona is a big step in that regard he, he, even he could concede you know he would just say next match is the most important but even he I think accepted that a game like tonight atmosphere the edge that was on it fans expectation a big team in opposition who you know are leading La Liga by eight points and he La made... Liga leaders as we established at the end of the last podcast I've been practicing that <laughs> La Liga leaders um, who you know are leading a Real Madrid side that went to Anfield and won 5-2 this week which he touched on you know he didn't explicitly say nice one Eric <laughs> he got he got the dig in there um, so and so I think that's that's why it's important that we, we you know you do kind of reflect on this game. But yeah, as you say, there's, there's other teams out there that maybe they'll they'll come unstuck against. I, I, you don't know. You know, it is a, a work in progress. This um, this team. But there's a few, you know, exciting locations that we might be able to get to as well. Yeah, there certainly is. Carl, you touched on it in your piece, which I, I plugged earlier on. 
are United favourites for the Europa League now? Uh, maybe not yet. Who's favourites? One more round. I think the way Arsenal played at the Emirates uh, gives me the heebie-jeebies just a bit. And I've just I've watched many a replay of uh, Angel Di Maria's goal for Juventus against Nantes tonight, which was just absolutely stunning. Di Maria back here would be interesting as well, wouldn't I'm it? I'm sure Di Maria would be uh, warmly received, as would Paul Pogba if United got drawn against. He's got to get fit first. Or as would uh, Mr. Mourinho if Roma came round as well. I think this is this is good. Yes, okay, the Europa League isn't the competition Manchester United want to be in, but there are two or three really strong European sides in the competition that will be strong tactical tests for Ten Hag. And Ten Hag seems to relish this. If you look at the last couple of games, it's not actually been the teams that want to you know, play expansive possession football that have given United the most hassle. It's actually been teams like Crystal Palace and Leeds that are going, right, well, this makes things kind of nasty and pressing in the middle and, and test your midfield. So, yeah, I'm not even going to count Union Berlin, which, I mean, Berlin's away game is quite nice. <laughs> it screams Andy Mitten, Manchester United against Union Berlin. You'd have a ball there, Andy, wouldn't you? Why, what, you sort of said I'm going to do that? Just... <laughs> Just enjoy it, mate. I don't know. Why? What are you thinking you might? <laughs> my, my brain. His eyes lit up there, weirdly. I have actually been to Union in Berlin. I had a hangover. I was on, on a stag doing 2014, the year we signed down Helder Maria. I don't think <laughs> that Manchester United would sign Angel Di Maria again. I think the recruitment has really improved. Not just I'm not sure he'd come, by the way. Well, maybe he wouldn't, but money maybe changes his mind. I think that there's people behind the scenes like Darren Fletcher checking on the personality of the players, and that results in Casimiro, Rafael Varane, and Lissandro Martinez, who Eric Ten Hag knew very well. And everything I hear about these senior pros says that the younger players can learn from them. Players like Anthony have still got some way to go that they're all about the team, they're not about ego. And if you look at the players who, who left the dressing room last year and the ones who've arrived in the dressing room, I think there's been a massive shift there. I love the Europa League for the fact that you can get teams that you don't draw year after year in the Champions League. I can remember getting in this Champions League, oh, we're going to Turin again. And I know that sounds spoiled, but it did come to that. And it came to it, oh, we got to Wembley again. And because we've not been at Wembley, everyone's buzzing for it. But... Freiburg, I think, is one of the teams. We can't draw all of them right now because of the way that it's structured. <laughs> I mean, we only have to play one of them next. There's some cracking draws there. And I think that Manchester United and Arsenal are the favourites to win the competition. After beating Barcelona, I think... Got a, you know, Manchester United need a bit of luck in this competition after them penalties against Villarreal. And we've overcome not being knocked out of Europe by a Spanish team. Watch us go and get beat by Betis in the next round. Oh no, he's said it now, hasn't he? Right, he did mention the W word though, so let's do it. Let's preview Manchester United at Wembley on Sunday against Newcastle United. Um, first of all, is Marcus Rashford going to be okay? Because he hobbled off that pitch slightly worryingly. A slight hobble, but it, I heard another journalist say quite loudly, no one's injured, so I want to take their words for it more than me that sounds foolproof yeah we actually forgot to ask Tanag about the, no one asking no, no one asked him in the press no, conference yeah. Eddie, Eddie Howe will be like spooling through that press conference surely someone's going to ask about Rashford's fitness well maybe we're doing his job for him because I mean it was interesting you didn't see any pictures of Anthony uh, training on Monday or Tuesday whenever he first started training and I wonder if that was a deliberate ploy from you know the United uh, fraternity to not 
let Barcelona know that he was actually fit. I know obviously he was out training yesterday, so they could have, you know, clocked at that point. But you know, small things like that. So listen, maybe we're doing him a favour by not asking him if Rashford's fit. I mean, there is a press conference tomorrow, Friday. By the time you listen to this podcast, yeah, you'll ask him then, I suppose, won't you? You were bringing back memories of a classic Sir Alex Ferguson one when United played Bayern Munich and Rooney got injured in the first leg away in Germany. And I remember vividly being, um, you know, the warehouse project place over near Old Trafford. It's a huge warehouse for people listening to this who have no idea what I'm talking about. And there used to be like a fans area in that on match day. And I can remember the team flashing up on the screen in there and Wayne Rooney being in the starting lineup. And it was the loudest cheer of the night <laughs> until Darren Gibson put us 3 0 up. And then obviously yeah. Arnie Robert did his sing and whatever else. But never mind, go and look that up if you don't know what I'm talking about. Let's go back to Sunday. Newcastle haven't really got a goalkeeper, Andy, have they? This is an interesting twist. Well, they've got about five, but only one of them's allowed to play. <laughs> weird, isn't it? Yeah, it it's it a really weird. strange situation. There's a, there is an explainer on The Athletic, actually, uh, that Chris Watt and Jacob Whitehead has written about the exact circumstance. So, obviously, we know Nick Pope got sent off against Liverpool, so he can't play. Martin Dubravka used to be a United player, so he's ineligible to, to play in the competition. Uh, Carl Darlow's gone out on loan, which I don't suppose they would have done that if they knew what was going on, which means that it's a choice between Loris Carrius, who we'll remember from Liverpool, or Mark Gillespie, who's only played a couple of senior games uh, and not recently either so is this a good thing for United? Yes it is for Manchester United I think that Newcastle's results are fading a little bit they don't look as indomitable as they did a couple of weeks ago not having the goalkeeper would make Manchester United favourites I think huge games do you know how much tickets are going for on the black market for Sunday on the street yeah, at least yeah. 1,500 quid. 1250s, 1300s, that's how much they're going for. Because they've obviously got it from their side because they've not been at Wembley since the Elizabethan age and Manchester United haven't been for ages either. Hello, Newcastle fans. Yeah, all right, Geordie. I do, I do He's leaving Bournemouth alone, at least. I actually think that Newcastle... I do respect Newcastle United because they're a massive football club and they're travelling huge numbers. They had a blip at the end of the 80s when they... They had a crowd of 10,004 for one match, which we poked fun out of them for for about 18 years. But 50,000 every week when they don't win anything, they're a massive club. It's a massive football city, and I genuinely have respect for the fact that so many people turn up to watch a team who don't ever win anything. And I blame my uncle because he set them on a roll by managing them for three years and basically making them worse each season. They've never recovered from it. Cheers, Uncle Charlie. Uh, Carl, how do you see this game? Uh, attritional. I made the mistake of re-watching the 0-0 draw at Old Trafford on Monday just to, to get a look at Newcastle and I went, oh bloody hell, they're really good at not playing games of football. Uh, so you may have watched in, against Barcelona, there was a 10 minute period in the first half where Barcelona just didn't play football. They, they looked like Atletico Madrid on the Simeone. So loads of throw-ins, loads of bickering, loads of fouls, uh, loads of arguing with the referee over where free kick should be taken, which is like the sneakiest one. Going, no, it shouldn't be there, it's five yards to the left. Really slow the game down. Newcastle were good at that and that's what you want to do in a cup final you don't want to play as too much football you want to score a goal and then be an absolute twonk um, so that's worrying about Newcastle what's good is I mean Bruno Fernandes booting Frankie de Jong with a football that sort of you know alright if you want to be a twonk we can be a twonk as well and 
the fight after that, well, I say fight, I am talking it up now, but the little melee after that was great for the sight of Casimiro just removing himself yep. 20 yards away just to not yeah. get involved. There was no yeah. Will Hughes-like character to grab by the throat this time, I so he's learned his lesson. I quite enjoyed Casimiro's yellow card in the second half as well. Just after Busquets yeah. had done exactly the just same. Just a, yeah. a real sort of, okay, you've had your fun, you're getting too close to the penalty area, I'm just going to grab you now, boom. Which you're going to see a lot of that on Sunday. I will be surprised if you get more than two goals. I think United should have more firepower. And yeah, okay, if it's Loris Karras and goal, I mean, sod's law, everyone has a great goalkeeping. Yeah, I'm still thinking about when Armonia was here at Old Trafford and their goalkeeper was, say, 1,400 shots. And, you know, Karius might do that. Karius's redemption yeah. at Wembley. Yeah, I, you, you can see it, can't you, to be fair? Andy, you wanted to chip in there. Just when you talked about the yellow card, I thought it was funny when 34-year-old Sergio Busquets decided there's no way I'm catching 18-year-old Garnacho here. <laughs> that little Madrileño blur, 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 and he just just stopped him. There was a lot of yellow cards tonight, weren't there? Yeah, certainly late on in the game, everyone was trying to stop everyone doing anything, really. wrestling going on. Yeah, there was a bit of wrestling going on. Um, Laurie, in terms of this match then against Newcastle, I'm going to blow your trumpet a little bit because I saw a lovely tweet from you about Manchester United's home record. Can you remember what you wrote? Well, <laughs> I, was, I had to check it a few times. I was like, is this correct? 18 matches they played at Old Trafford since last losing to Real Sociedad. Uh, they've won 16 of them and drawn two. That is an incredible record. One of them against Newcastle. Oh, good point. OK, right, yeah. Nil-nil. That was early on, wasn't it? Yeah, as Carl said, it was a, a bit of a gritty game, that wasn't it? It wasn't the most entertaining. Um, and at that point, you probably felt a bit deflated that United hadn't beaten them, but actually then Newcastle went on a, a really good run, didn't they? And it, it probably, in, on reflection, feels a, a fair enough result. Um, but it does, it, it sort of reminds you not to get ahead of yourself again, not to get too excited. I do feel, though, that United have got, with Tenag, with they haven't really got the players you'd think. Like It's not like a, a squad that's brimming with quality throughout, like two players per position, but the way that he manages to sort of fit players into certain situations really works. I mean, I don't know if we need to touch on Valt Vegos a little bit, just because I thought he'd done quite interesting stuff as the number 10, you know, in, in away in Barcelona and then um, you know, away at Leeds in, in the end of that game. Um, but then tonight, as the as, as the striker, really, because he wanted to have Rashford on the left, which is, again, I think a, a choice to try and flummox Xavi because he, he'd sort of done that in the first uh, leg. Um, he, he wasn't... He wasn't quick enough, was he? he? wasn't at the right speed. So I don't know, do you change that for the Newcastle game? It is, that is a big decision for him to make, actually, because Vegas has been useful, hasn't he? You, you've said about enjoying his displays at times, but he's been effective. There's, yeah. not, there's not been any question about that. I'll blow his trumpet even more, because before the game, I didn't know he'd been interviewed for Chinese television, and I was as well. And uh, I predicted 2-1 to Manchester United, so I go up to the presenter after the game. She went, yeah, do you know Laurie Whitwell? I went, yeah, she went, he predicted 2-1 as well. And Fred to score. Mm -hmm. right, so I'm like, oh, right, okay. Yeah. And, and what more? And a comeback victory. Did you? He did. He did. Well, are you going to tell me now? De Gea getting his hand to a penalty. <laughs> 12 corners, uh, 25 <laughs> throw ins from the left hand side. Um, he was really bang on it tonight, actually. Yeah, there's something fishy going on, I think. Um, we mentioned goalkeepers before for Newcastle. David De Gea is swinging a green bag around his hand at the moment. He's having his picture taken on the pitch. It, it, again, it's not the type of thing that we see very often, Laurie, is it? The, these type of celebrations were a long time post-game here and he's still here on the pitch. And he's just been with Richard Arnold and we all know that there's a contract talk going on. Have they just I, signed it? Have they just signed a deal? That's what I want to know. 
He's from Madrid. He's just beaten Barcelona. Well, <laughs> I, I thought there was a bit of that in Varane and Casemiro as well when they celebrated at the end because, you know, they, they've had some brilliant nights in their careers and watching those two literally dance their way over to, to the far corner there. Varane keeps doing this. My dad keeps yeah. telling me about yeah. it. Every time they have a big win, he goes over to this corner and does his fist bumps and all the crowd cheer. It's great. Varane's stop um, in time added on from Lewandowski was crucial. Was that offside? What happened with was that? It, on? it was onside. Right. Yeah, so they, they flagged for offside, but the replay showed that Ferran Torres was actually onside. Yeah. I thought he'd score that. He scores some goals. He's one of the best three or four strikers in the world. He had a tackle um, just before Varane as well, yeah. equally important. Yeah, he did. There was an interception. I think um, Torres tried to play a ball through and he won it there. I thought he had a really good game. And when you buy one of the best defenders in the world, this is what you get. Big performances in big matches. And you could say that from, from a few of them. Yeah, it feels like a back line to rely on, definitely, doesn't it, at the moment. Um, just on the subject of goalkeepers, I need to point you in the direction of Thursday's edition of the Athletic Football Podcast. Uh, there's an exclusive interview there on Thursday with Peter Smeichel. He talks about Newcastle's goalkeeping situation and also David De Gea's sticky start, which has been long forgotten. And, of course, now there is the chance of him staying here even longer uh, than the 400 matches that he's managed for Manchester United so far. He's one clean sheet away from beating Schmeichel as well, isn't he? Yeah, so there's a bit of like disagreement over this record because goalkeepers have to finish 90 minutes in order to get a clean sheet. Andy, you're the man for this, aren't you? I can tell. No, you can tell. I'll read out where it's come from. He's still stuffing his face with the Maltese, I'm by the way, listeners. I'm just by myself. I've not, I've not, have you had one yet? No, I'm, I'm like trimming. You went, you went off after 66. I believe there's a substitution involved where... It boils down to a match between Arsenal and United on the 17th of May 2015 when De Gea picked up an injury and was replaced by his compatriot Victor Valdez on nice 64 detail. minutes. I didn't even write this but it's factually correct. You're reading it. United were 1-0 up at half-time at the time of David's departure but this does not count as a clean sheet according to the rules of st statistical experts Opta who say that keepers must complete the match which is a metric that United follow in official club records now i'm gonna butt in here according to opta rules if a game goes to extra time and then penalties opted class that as a draw and say the penalties are separate from a game as well How it's one of, it's one of the big arguments we have in pub quizzes whenever duncan alexander's around he goes oh you know games are drama i'm not having this i'm not having this there are i love opta I, yeah i use the data all the time as you may have seen in our pieces but i I'm going to complain about this. Well, I think the has already got the record. But Michael had had two games where he'd started and come off, so he technically would have had two more clean sheets if it wasn't for this particular record. So either way, surely De Gea's still behind. Yeah, well, he's, he's going to do it anyway. Oh, no, he's level, sorry, he's level. Yeah. I hope so. If we're challenging club <laughs> records as well, I don't believe that Manchester United's biggest ever crowd was 135,000 in the Bernabeu in 1957 or 125,000. I don't believe it. I just. Uh, I, what the numbers are made up? I think they're made up. I think they were, they're from British journalists. I think they're estimates. Goosing statistics about attendance. Yeah, I'll. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, get, I'll wear my tinfoil hat, Andy, here. <laughs> I think the biggest ever crowd was Barcelona Man United, 114,000, 1994. I think they are estimates from British journalists who went to Madrid and gone, looks pretty full, looks pretty big. <laughs> and they'd had too many sangrias to I, count. I've been chasing, I've spoke to. Madrid experts and they're like we can find no evidence I cannot see how that ground ever held 135,000 I mean this is a very valid argument from Andy but they are turning the lights off at Old Trafford so I'm, I'm, I'm sort of <laughs> suggesting that maybe this isn't the right time and place for I was going to say it's 18 minutes to midnight 
on Thursday night and uh, we're about to get thrown out of Old Trafford in a minute as well. Most importantly, and in terms of attendances, there'll be 80,000 people inside Wembley Stadium. 90,000. 90, <laughs> there he goes correcting me again. <laughs> you, are, you are right though, in fairness. Sunday, there'll be 90,000 people inside Wembley Stadium to watch Manchester United take on Newcastle United. Are they going to win the League Cup? Yeah. Are they? Yeah. Are they? <laughs> Go on then, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a resounding yeah, isn't it? What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> I think we all feel confident, don't we? Something about watching Manchester United beat Barcelona here at Old Trafford tonight that's got us all feeling in a positive mood ahead of that match this weekend. There's lots of build-up to that game on The Athletic, of course. Remember that special podcast price of £1.99 a month for a year when you subscribe to The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod I can say that in my sleep but I will be sleeping soundly because United have knocked out Barcelona and we're on our way to Wembley Laurie Whitwell thank you very much Andy Mitten thank you very much Carl Anker thank you very much indeed as well and thanks for listening at home enjoy this time enjoy it enjoy the build up to Sunday thanks for listening bye bye Athletic.